0: I'm Sarah Resnick, and I'm LaShawn
1: Moore, and we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber.
0: Hello, hi everyone. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Maude, the founder of Behind the Hill, a textile company based in Brooklyn, New York. Behind the Hill creates unique and contemporary pieces for home decor using a variety of heirloom cotton, which grows wild in shades of pink, terracotta, green, beige, and white in Mexico and Guatemala. They are partnered with three communities of indigenous people in Central America who still grow, spin, and weave color-grown cotton the same way it's been done for centuries. They work directly with their artists and partners in order to strive to keep ancient traditions alive while working hand-in-hand with the weavers. I'm so excited, intrigued, and fascinated by the fibers you work with. Thank you for joining us today, Maude.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me and for the invitation.
0: Can you start out by telling us about your background and where you're from?
1: Sure. Um, So I was born and raised in France. I studied uh, linguistics and psychology and things like that. And then I moved to Mexico in 2003 uh, to finish a master in linguistics. And I was supposed to stay nine months. I stayed nine years. Uh, In Mexico City, and then I moved to New York in 2012 and I've been living in Brooklyn uh, since then
0: And how did you make that transition to working and starting behind the hill?
1: Yeah, so I studied uh, linguistics and for me, everything makes sense. Uh, all my the the path I took makes sense, but it's it's yeah. I usually have to explain the what my <laughs> choice is. So yeah, I so when I moved to Mexico, you know, I was 22, something like that, and I wanted to work for. Um, I wanted to be a French teacher, I think, in Mexico, or to to teach French to um foreigners so that was my first idea and i wanted to also work in culture so culture french culture in um in latin america or you know like uh, working with um movies and uh, like culture culture in, and art in um in foreign countries so I my first work, my first job in Mexico was French teacher for um mostly L'Oreal so the French company and um I was doing marketing a bit with them as well and so they asked my my students asked me to if I wanted to work for um their marketing agency in uh in Mexico so I started to work in Mexico and I I loved it and I stayed for 9 years and then I, um, so when I was living in Mexico, I was traveling a lot during, you know, the weekends and I would go to remote communities and I was in touch with beautiful crafts and textiles from Mexico during the nine years I lived there. Uh, but I never really did anything to work with artisans. I was really focused on, um, I guess, you know, starting my um, uh Um, work life like is as a in a company Um, and I but then I moved to New York and I kept working in marketing for big companies well and the transition is actually a real year of transition that happened in 2013 and 14 I arrived in New York uh, I was married Uh, and I divorced in 2013, so I was early 30s, in my early 30s, and I I was by myself in New York, I found myself in winter in New York after spending nine years in Mexico, uh, not speaking English, uh, knowing few people, and I just like, I was like, okay, so... What do I want to do? Do I want to stay? Do I want, what do I, what what do I love? What do I know? What, you know? And I just started to watch a lot of documentaries, reading books about more and more, I would say about sustainability, about how to do something better. And because I was working, so in that marketing agency, I was in Mexico City. And even later in New York, I was working for big companies like the Coca-Cola company, Mercedes-Benz, L'Oreal, Um, uh, Sony all those big brands I was I felt I was completely disconnected with what I really love the most which is indigenous cultures that's really something I have been that has followed me the whole my whole life I would say Um, but you know I kind of forgot during my 20s yeah I wanted to work for big corporations I don't know I just wanted to to know, to learn, probably I don't know. Um, that's the the path I chose at some point. But I felt disconnected. Uh, in yeah, when I in two thousand thirteen, I felt disconnected, and I wanted to go back to what I really love, which is learning from indigenous cultures. And at that time, I so in New York, I was working in a in a company that I really didn't share the values with Um, but the good thing is that I was in charge of Latin American markets so I would travel there a lot to Latin America and so I would go you know to I was traveling so much like I was 50 percent of the time traveling to latin america so i was you know spending a week of meetings in uh, i don't know argentina or colombia mexico peru but i would always stay during the weekend to to just to visit by myself to go meet people in the andes or to go meet people Uh, just in Lima Peru and sit with the people who make shoes in Lima I don't know you know I was really doing that over the weekend because I had no. it was the weather was better than in New York and because I usually um, yeah that was that's what I love so I would extend my working trips and I just I would come back to New York and think oh I'm good at that I'm good at you know connecting finding the right people to do the, the things that nobody really knows about in in new york and i think i could connect you know ancestral processes and with uh beautiful stores in new york and i i think that's how it started that idea of uh um working with indigenous artisans um that i've been in touch with since really since over 15 years now from my experience in mexico and all my travels in Latin America. And because most of the time I travel by myself, uh, you know, I really take the time to to sit with, you know, if I find someone working on something somewhere in a remote workshop, uh, somewhere in a small village in, let's say, Mexico. You know, I would go there, ask questions, usually I'm invited for a meal and next thing you know, I'm part of the family. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, yeah, I don't know, that's how it started. So, uh, it's a bit maybe confusing for most people, but for me, it's just like one thing led to another. And now I'm really happy, I, I did, yeah, do the transition between, you know, the marketing world and big corporations and what I'm doing at the moment, so um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I mean,
1: I've had a few
0: conversations with people who have fiber-based businesses and a lot of their stories are very similar to yours where they were working in corporate America or just with a large corporation and they didn't feel as if the work that they were doing was really truly their passion and then they sort of found themselves connecting with textiles and following that journey and The result was creating really successful businesses that were also sustainable. And I'm really curious to talk specifically about the products that you produce at Behind the Hill, but also the heirloom cotton varieties that you use in your weavings. So pink, terracotta, green, beige, and white. A lot of people don't know about naturally colored cotton and naturally colored pink cotton is so rare. And the colors that I see of your goods are so beautiful. So I'm really curious if you can talk about naturally colored cotton specifically and the communities, the indigenous communities that they come
1: from. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question because I'm so, you know, nobody really understands what I do sometimes and I'm like, (laughs) no, it's not natural dyes, it's not dyed at all, it's just the way the cotton grows. And so there are people, even in my family, sometimes they're like, huh, oh, okay, you know, after a few years when I think it's clear enough, but no, it's so, so little, so, so many, so few people uh, know about, about that type of cotton. So basically that cotton has been around forever. I mean for generations and generations in Latin America in a f- in a few villages in Guatemala and Mexico where it really uh, it the, the it was born um this type of cotton has existed forever and has been used by indigenous um weavers to add some details to their clothing. So um, the cotton has, the thing with that cotton, it has, there are different um, uh, philosophies about around why it has disappeared and why it has not been as used as the white cotton. But so what I've, from what I've read, um, the, the Spaniards when they arrived in central america they said that the white cotton was more pure um and so that's what that's the kind of cotton that had to be uh, cultivated and uh, worked by the indigenous communities so they stopped working the brown cotton and also when i was talking with the artisans i work with they were exp- they were telling me that white cotton has longer fibers so it's easier to spin and to weave and the brown cotton when i say brown cotton is it's a bit more generic because then it's brown but it's it's also it can be green and pink but it's still the same um it i mean it's you we usually talk about white and brown cotton and then there are different uh um, shades of that brown uh, that can be pink as well but um so, and these, the brown cotton has shorter fibers, which is, which makes it a bit more difficult to spin and to weave. Um So that's, that also might be why it has not been cultivated as much as the white cotton. Um So how did I, you know, how did I know about the brown cotton? Is just traveling, just really, I... I think it's um, very, well, it was very, very early on when I was, I think I was, Behind the Hill was just still an idea. It was just very, the very beginning of Behind the Hill. I spent uh, two weeks in Guatemala uh, by myself. Uh, I lived with a family in the highlands of Guatemala. And then I was reading, you know, about um, specific weavings from specific villages. And I just saw an amazing piece that was uh, woven with that b- beautiful brown color and indigo. And I never thought the cotton was, um, you know, I thought it was dyed. But I read the name of that piece and it was like, there was a, it was written Koyuchi. No, sorry, ishkako Koyuchi in Mexico. ishkako and indigo. And I was like, what is ishkako And so I... I basically I was on my phone in the evening in my hotel room, and uh, I just thought, okay, I have to um, to go and track that Ishkako thing. I don't know what that is, and it happened to be in a beautiful village by the shore of Lake Atitlan. So that was not on my on my way that for that trip, but I decided to go the day after, and. The f- so I arrived in that village called San Juan Atitlan on the so in, on Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, and I arrived in the morning, um, and I decided to hire a tuk tuk, you know those uh, little motorcycle, uh, for a few hours, and I said to the guy, okay, let you have to find for me, help me find pieces of textile made of something called Ishikako. Do you know Ishikako? And he said, oh no, I don't know Ishikako. So I googled, I showed him a picture and he said, oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, my grandma uh, knows that. So let's go to my grandma's. And so that's how it started really. And then I said, okay, you're the grandma, I think didn't really have anything to show me. But so then I said, okay, are there cooperatives of artisans, you know, weavers in the village? So he, he, and we went to all of them. So that's how I started to work with, um, of uh, you know, that uh, material that I think is amazing, and nobody really was really interested in that material. In, I mean, I don't know any other project rather than mine really doing, um, you know, uh, some work with uh, that cotton from Central America. So first, I when I started behind the hill, I had a few products with a few blankets with that cotton usually mixed with indigo as well and um, other uh, sometimes um, other flowers and natural dyes and i had also other um, type of objects like um, i had well wood and we carved wood and things like that but All the products I was very the story I was the most interested in because it was so different was the um, the stories and the products with the naturally colored cotton that Ishkako from from Guatemala and so I decided quite early on like yeah very six months after I started behind the hill I would say I started to work only with naturally colored cotton and uh, to to really focus on that material that is so unique. Um, And then I became, I'm quite a nerd about it. And now I'm, so I work with a group of Mayan Tsutuhil. So it's the Tsutuhil is a, um, let's say a subcategory of the Mayan category uh, in Guatemala. So it's a very specific um, Mayan language and Mayan culture in Guatemala, so I work with them and I also expanded and now I work with other ethnical groups in Mexico, um, with, which are the Amuzgo people uh, from Guerrero and Mixtec people from Oaxaca. And so I work with uh, different villages who all grow the naturally colored cotton, uh, which, can, which comes in, um, in different colors, uh, so brown, and the brown can be red brown, oh, sorry red brown, or a very light brown, or um, it can be green. Uh, it can be um, it can be pink in Guatemala as well. So that was a very beautiful surprise. Actually, I I visited. It was 2019 in February. I visited Guatemala. I visited the group of artisans I I work with, and I arrive and they. They said to me, oh, Maud, we, we, we have a, like a problem because the, the beige cotton, the light brown cotton this year didn't really grow beige. I was like, what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, well, how is that possible? And they said, no, it's pink. I was like, what? Show me, show me now. <laughs> and it was an amazing um, like blush. when it was so, you know, everyone wanted blush for everything. You could see blush pink in every product on the market. I was like, okay, keep it all for me. (laughs) I want the whole harvest about, you know, that beautiful pink. And it's really when I um, I think I really knew, I really wanted to work on naturally colored cotton because I think it's absolutely so fascinating to create products based on harvests rather than on trends you know I mean I didn't decide I didn't decide to make uh, pink products because it was um, trendy to make pink products you know I just like it's what it was it's just like what the harvest gave me so I well I did the same product but with that cotton (laughs) that was harvested which uh, I think it's amazing it's fascinating so it's challenging as well of course because you know if you don't it would be easier for a for a designer to know exactly the color that you could use um, but no it's changing and I think it's fascinating
0: that's such an amazing journey and I've extracted so many really key parts of it I think one part is just it's amazing to think about designing based on the harvest, right? Designing based on what you have, as opposed to forcing these materials to exist as something else by manipulating them.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, again, I'm not a designer, uh, or so it's, it makes sense for me as well, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm now, I guess I'm a designer because that's what I do. Right. But, and, but in i don't have that background and so for me it's not a that a, it's not it's not that much of a problem to i don't feel limited you know i feel just mm. like i just take what it is and i'm amazed so far by the process and so for instance this season so i actually i will receive the new the new i have already the samples but i'm receiving beginning of the new collection with the last harvest this week so it's but i already saw the colors and i mean it's unbelievable the green from guatemala this year is almost mint Hmm. which is i mean so i'm making a blanket so this collection that is gonna be uh, released next month uh, in march it's gonna be really no design it's just like the color of the cotton i want the cotton to be the hero and i'm not, i will try to make it simple so people can understand what it is so this green cotton is it's that green blanket is just green and it's almost mint so it's perfect for spring i think it's so p- pretty and there is also a pink so there is green there is pink there is white um there is like a like a between pink and brown i don't know it's a very strange color Uh, that is amazing too and I decided to not mix it with any other color so people understand and they are going to come with a seed of cotton so people can even they buy you can buy a green blanket and you it will come with a seed so you can of cotton so you can plant in the soil your seed and grow your own cotton tree from the same cotton of your blanket, you know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, it's just like it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful process, and um, I, I try to, I, I love to share. Um, you know, it's it's what textile for me, and that's what I think it's very fascinating. It's textile is about tradition. It's about. Uh, yeah, history of a place and uh, geography, and it's about you know if it's thicker, it's because usually if the cotton is is spin is spun or is uh, thicker in um, place in Guatemala or in Mexico, it's because it's more in the highlands. So it's it, t- it tells you about geography of the village of the place. It tells you about, uh, for instance, the blankets I work with, the blankets the blankets I make. I can usually say if the weaver is a young a young woman or you know like a stronger women with experience because it's going to be tighter and if it's a young you know like uh i don't know a 25 young s- small weaver i can tell because it's going to be a bit more loose you know what i mean it's fascinating to see to see um
0: Sort of the environmental factors,
1: exactly, and uh, well, and so I'm very fascinated by the by the color of the cotton that changes um, every season almost, yeah.
0: And that's that's what I'm so curious about because, as you mentioned, it was beige, and then or the cotton that they thought was going to be beige turned out to be more of a pink and now you have this mint green do you know much about the agricultural aspects of it and what causes the changes in the cotton
1: so it's sometimes it's a little bit hard for me to have the exact right information from the artisans just because for them it's very natural i think and it has been like that forever so they you know it's hard for them to explain exactly i would have to spend time in the fields you know and i hope i can do that someday and just like be doing my research myself, you know, and go to the fields. But from what I've been told, it really depends on the the environment, the climate, so the weather. So if it's too uh, rainy, um, it's gonna, the, the cotton is gonna be a bit different. If it's, you know, it's like, let's say it's like an apple on the tree, right? An apple or any fruit if the sun goes in you know on the part of the fruit it's going to be maybe more yellow and in the other on the other side it's going to be more red or more green you know it doesn't have the same color always on the fruit so it's a bit the same on the cotton and so for instance I have two kind of pinks this season because they from one flower they will split they will keep on one side the light pink and on the other side the the dark pink so this is going to make two colors from one flower wow you see and then if there is you know also it depends on the soil so i like to because i'm french i like to compare my cotton to the to the grapes to make the wine so you know you can grow some um Uh, what can I say like uh, a Cabernet or any grape in Bordeaux in France and it's the same grape in Oregon but it's not going to be the same wine it's not going to be the same taste because the weather is different the soil is different the treatment is different you know the whatever you how you know it's so it's the same grape but it's not the same environment so it's not the same taste and it's the same for the cotton if you grow the same seed in um, next to the ocean it's not going to be the same color exactly if it's more in the a bit more in the highland with more wind more more rain so that's how i understand it from different sources so basically they tell me what they see what they observe but they don't really tell me exactly the science behind it
0: wow that's so fascinating (laughs) It's just so fascinating and so interesting. I mean, I could go on for years and days you know, <laughs> with questions. But um, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about that's kind of related to that is I know that through Behind the Hill, you also do curated travels where you introduce people to the artisans in your practice. Can you talk about that as well?
1: Yes, sure. So, um, well again because i love to share those stories and i my also my goal is to be as transparent as possible with you know with my customers i don't want to keep my you know my the artisans just for me or it's not about that i really my one of my the mission i think of behind the hill is really to yeah to share what indigenous cultures have been working on for centuries so um, I started those trips in Guatemala as uh, in 2017. Really, when I started Behind the Hill, the trip was like in the next couple of months because I feel so confident in Latin America because I know very well. It's easy for me to organize that kind of trips. And, um, you know, people are very interested and sometimes it's not easy to, you know, to you can be interested in weaving or in naturally colored cotton but you don't really know how to navigate in guatemala so i facilitate that so it's a quite of you know they'll usually in the morning we have an activity so we meet weavers we meet um we meet uh, artisans from there it can be artisans from you know they they work wood and they work ceramics and they work different medium but uh, also of course we visit the artisans i work with and in the afternoon, it's more free, so we can, I always have plans, but people can do a bit more uh, of their vi- their own visits, uh, because we are all grown-ups, and we nobody really wants to be, you know, like for a full week, um, with a full group, so I try to have like a good balance of, you know, independence and uh, cool activities, and uh, yeah, so, well, you know, with Covid, of course, everything stopped, uh, the last trip was supposed to be in March 2020. So I, my, my suitcase was ready. I was ready to go, my boarding pass in hand, and I just didn't go that day, March 16th. And, uh, but you know, it's fine. I will, it's gonna soon, I hope, we are gonna uh, resume those trips. And I wanted to actually start also f- during fall 2020. To visit the artisans I work with in Mexico, because now I work with more and more uh, villages in Mexico, and it's on the south, uh, southern part of the country, in the on the coast of Oaxaca, on the Pacific coast. So, it's it's you know it's heaven there. It's just sunny all year long. It's beautiful. You eat amazing fruits. And you'd get to visit amazing artisans who are indigenous people. So, and I know them very well. You know, we I have I have a two-year-old child. My daughter is, yeah, a bit of a two-year-old old. When she was three months old, I traveled pretty much everywhere with her in Guatemala, in remote villages in Mexico. Uh, and uh, yeah, she, first time she saw a chicken was, you know, she the chicken was playing, well, she was playing with the chicken basically. <laughs> uh sitting on the ground when i was working with the weavers so i don't know i really know very well and i think for me it's like it's part of a mission to just share that information with people so um yeah they are fun Uh, usually people who travel with me are makers or you know uh, artists or they most a few people are weavers as well but um you know different painters and uh yeah So it's really beautiful, mostly women as well, and mostly from New York. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's really beautiful. I love that uh, part of the project. Um, It's really um, something for me that has helped me grow as well as a, you know, um, because to share what you love the most is uh, very empowering. Sorry, it's a difficult word to say for a French uh, speaker, empowering. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I love to organize trips for people.
0: <laughs> mm, amazing. And did you have any new projects that you're working on that you wanted to share with our listeners?
1: So at the moment, I have been in between two harvests so which means that i can't really keep you know communicating what i was doing last year and the designs and everything because the color is going to be different this season so i have been like working uh, slowly the beginning of the year january february on the i mean not slowly actually but I didn't i didn't really communicate anything but yeah i kind of relaunch uh, behind the hill in march so by be- relaunch it's more um i let's say that 2020 was very difficult right for everyone that's no secret but also it allowed me and it gave me some time to reflect really on what i want to keep what i don't want to keep what i want to reinforce and i think the story behind what i'm doing is very important and i didn't really take the time before to share well except during the trips but otherwise, you know, I was re I'm by myself. So I was, and I, you know, I, I work with um, a lot of uh, stores now in the U.S. I don't, I mean, you see, I speak English, but I still, you know, I have a, I still sometimes look for my words. And so I, it's not natural for me to send a newsletter in English and to, you know, to share my story in English is not, an, mm. this is a difficult exercise for me, for instance, and to do my website. So, you know, I, I, it's slow for me to, to, English is my third language and to have a company in, you know, in a language that is not your own is difficult. So it took me some time and, but I know for sure since 2020 and since that time I had to reflect that I really want to do more content and share more about what I do and i want to i don't want to fulfill orders every day because that's what i was doing like fulfilling orders fulfilling orders and now i also want to be more strategic so i want to f- still fulfill orders of course <laughs> but i also want to take some time to be more strategic and to share more about that naturally colored cotton and so that's why also i'm very grateful you you reach out because um you know i i'm always happy to share my story and to share moreover than my story the the heritage of the artisans i work with
0: amazing and where can people go on social media to follow your work
1: so mostly instagram so it's behind the hill underscore um and well i have a website i'm really working now on the 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 content so about the cotton what it is to work in harmony with nature and we are a very, very sustainable company. So zero waste policy, um, you know, very, uh, I really try to, I work with, uh, I partner with brands in the US that help me, you know, recycle my material, like Fab Scrap, things like that. So all this information is going to be on the website in, in a few weeks, like in the next two, co- in the next two weeks or so. Um, so yeah, information, Instagram... Uh, I yeah that's the main thing
0: wonderful so before you go we have one question that we ask everyone that joins a podcast and that is do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with the weavers and textile enthusiasts
1: <gasps> oh <laughs> uh, well um you know I'm not a weaver myself so it's I can't have really a word of wisdom but I would say that to follow a passion, I think is, uh, you know, is the main, the most beautiful thing, uh, whatever the outcome is. Um, yeah, the, the, to follow a passion and to follow your, the guts and to think if I, if I, I do believe in something and I, it has changed my life, to go for it. Rather than to stay stuck, you know, in something I was not very comfortable with, like to work for a company I was not very uh, proud of or I'm proud of what I'm doing at the moment. And I've, I followed my my passion, I think. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: That's a wrap. If you're interested in seeing images of the beautiful indigenous cottons mentioned in this episode, or to read a full transcript of this week's episode, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 136. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Until next time, happy weaving!